So we're starting a new series, as I was saying, and our series will be in the Gospel according to Mark. Um, as, as I was saying, that we'll be, we, we, we are considering uh, this, this series. Um, we, we were doing a topical series called God's Growth Plan for Believers, and that was like for a couple of weeks, I think five weeks, that we worked through that series, and we thank God for um, His faithfulness. Um, in his word. And God continues to speak. One of the things that we uh, believe so closely and believe um, with all our hearts is that God speaks through his word. And he continues to speak today, so he is not silent. When the word speaks, God speaks. And um, our attitude, our response to God's word must be to hear him. So we'll start this series. This one is not going to take 12 weeks as we do most of our series. So it's going to stretch uh, for a couple of months. Um, so, so that it, uh, but we're not going to rush into it as well. Um, in other words, we're not going to have like 45-minute sermons. And um, I just want us to just slow down and ruminate over what we're going to hear um, in the next coming months. And so may you pray for your hearts and pray for me as well as we, um, you know, start this series, the gospel according to Mark. And so um, the title of the series will be called Seeing the Son of God, Seeing the Son of God. And this will be from the whole gospel according to Mark. This morning we're looking at chapter 1, verse 1 up until verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 1 up until verse 15. Let us draw near to the Lord in prayer before we go into God's word. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. We thank you that you are in control. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we get to have to hear from your word. And what a privilege it is, O oh God, as we think about countries where hearing your word and even carrying the Bible is it's illegal. We thank you for that privilege, O oh God, that we are able to meet publicly. We're able to gather together to hear from you. Speak to us, O oh Lord. It is our prayer that your word will be a lamp to our feet and a, um, a guide, uh, a light to our footpath. Guide us, O oh God, in your grace and in your love. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought as I declare your word in the space power. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Now let me ask you a question. What do you, um, what do you think? This might sound very, um, very simplistic. But what do you think about Jesus? What, what comes to your mind when you hear that name, Jesus? A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you believe that? Let me repeat the quote. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that's true. But, but I would humbly suggest that we, we tweak this his statement a little bit for our purposes this morning because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the supreme revelation of God. I would say what comes into our minds when we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. Or in the words of Jesus himself, when he looks at his disciples and say, who do you say that I am? 
Your answer to that question is critical to who you are. Your understanding of the identity of Jesus is the most important thing about your own identity. This morning we begin a new series, as I said, in the Gospel of Mark. Our series will be titled, Seeing the Son of God. Seeing the Son of God. My desire is that as we uh, 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 go deep into the words um, of Mark, as he testifies about Jesus, that our eyes, the scales on our eyes will continue to fall and we will see Jesus clearer and clearer. One thing that stands out about the Gospel of Mark as I was reading, in fact, I thought, I thought that you know, we should title the series The Seventh King which wouldn't be wrong as well. But as I read and went deep into the... I'll show you why. As, as I, went, I read and went deep into the gospel itself, I saw that the theme of Jesus as the Son of God continues to appear more and more. Mark centers on Jesus as the most important figure in his gospel. That is obvious, isn't it? But what is clear as we read here is that there are also three groups that Mark mentions. The disciples, the crowds, and the religious leaders. And, and what they have in common, all these groups, what they have in common, is the fact that they fail to see who Jesus is. In fact, the term Son of God is used in, in, uh, ultimately in three ways, in, 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 by three people. First of all, by Mark, because Mark also writes in hindsight, right? He writes the events that happened. He starts with the opening, the gospel of the, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark identifies Jesus as the Son of God. The other, um, you know, uh, identification of Jesus Christ in the gospel of Mark is with the demonic spirits. When Jesus Christ encounters the demonic spirits, especially when you look at Mark, Mark chapter 3, verse 11, when he encounters the demonic spirits, they recognize his authority immediately and exclaim with fear, you are the Son of God. And lastly, the climax of the book itself, Mark 15, verse 39, this is the centurion who was involved in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, who, who witnessed everything and who was part of it. And this guy has seen so many crucifixions in his life, but on this day, on this fateful day, he looks at Jesus dying on the cross and he says, truly, this man was the son of God. And so this idea of Jesus Christ being the Son of God keeps coming out. And what Mark wants us to see, all of us, is to come to a recognition of the fact that Jesus Christ himself is the Son of God. And we'll notice, we'll see that title as we continue even further. So that's why I say, your understanding of the identity of Jesus is the most important thing about your own identity. Because they could not understand themselves as disciples until they understood who Jesus Christ is. So this morning we'll be looking at the first 15 verses of Mark. 
the first 15 verses open up the whole book for us and show us um, Jesus as central to the whole gospel. As we read this gospel, we'll look at Jesus through the eyes of his disciples, especially Peter. Historically, it is believed that the gospel according to Mark is written by John Mark, um, but he writes um, like as an amanuensis. Amanuensis is someone who writes on behalf of another. So another person is narrating and the other is writing what they are narrating. So John Mark is, is actually writing down the testimony of Peter, the apostle. So throughout the Mark's gospel, many of the disciples, as we see, are confused on who Jesus is. Their understanding is cloudy. They are like the man who is healed of blindness by Jesus two times. When he looks at the people, after he's healed the first time, they, they look like trees walking. Only after Jesus heals him the second time does he see people clearly. And we'll see the significance of that story as we, we continue. In a similar way, at first, many, many of the disciples don't quite see Jesus clearly. It takes time for them to come to recognize who Jesus is. But for us, we are given a clear picture of Jesus in the first 15 verses of Mark. As I said, Mark writes in hindsight, right? He writes events that has already happened. He had his aha moment. Mark has one main question that will guide our time in Mark. Who do you say that I am? And Mark wants his readers to know the answer to the question right up front. So, so Mark gives us a, a, a hint from the beginning because we need the help, all the help we can get. Let's look at the verses now. And I hope our time this morning will serve as a guide to the rest of our time in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse um, 1, up until verse 15. This is what the Word of God says. I read from the ESV. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of, of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and, 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 the, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, 
The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Mark's basic thesis for the whole book is found in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's purpose in writing this book is to give us the gospel or the good news about Jesus. In fact, the, the, the reason his gospel is good news is because it's about Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. And Mark will spend the rest of the book proving this thesis and telling us the significance of the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, of God. But for now, he simply wants us to, to, to get it all out there. And, and, and how does he do this? Well, Mark acts like an advocate. And, and to prove his thesis that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, as an advocate, as an excellent advocate, he calls five witnesses to the stand to testify to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These five witnesses he calls, first he calls the scriptures. Secondly, he calls John the Baptist. Thirdly, he calls God the Father. Fourthly, he calls Satan. And finally, he calls Jesus himself to testify on his behalf. We'll look at the first three of these testimonies this, son, this morning, and then um, we'll finish with the, um, the, the second two. As I said, I want this to ruminate of, over what we hear and not just uh, have a volume of information. So with the rest of our time this morning, I, I want to look at what these five witnesses, as we're going to focus on just three, um, say about Jesus. Then we'll close... Um, next week, the whole, um, um, you know, this part, two parts, um, on how Jesus is to respond to the fact that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Let us call the first witness to the stand, shall we? Mark calls the scriptures to be a witness. Look at verse 2. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And verses 2 and verse 3 he quotes from two passages from the Old Testament. He quotes Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and he quotes Isaiah chapter 4 40 verse 3. The, the, the more familiar of the two passages that he quotes is from Isaiah. That is why he says, um, as he, he puts them together, he says, as it is written from Isaiah the prophet. Mark wants us to know something right up front here. That the gospel about Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. Jesus, uh, Jesus' coming was not an afterthought, right? It was not plan B. God had not lost his mind and, and scrambled around to see what he can do to fix things in the world. It is not plan B. It was always in the plan of God. It was a part of God's plan from the beginning to save his people from their sins. God promised beforehand that a messenger would prepare the way for the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And this is clearly fulfilled in John the Baptist, isn't it? The ministry of John the Baptist fulfills this passage. And, and, and when he says the way that's being prepared, it is being prepared for Jesus. Jesus. It is Jesus' path 
that is being made straight by John the Baptist. And, and that much is plain from the context as you read the, the Bible. But there's, there's something else going on here that we must not miss. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which is quoted in verse 2, the messenger prepares the way before God. Right? In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which is quoted in verse 3 here, the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepares the way of the Lord. I want you to get this, right? In other words, the, the idea, especially in, the, in, 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 in Isaiah, he uses Lord, and in your Bibles you will notice that that, that, that word Lord is in, the, is in capital letters. And when it is in capital letters, in other words, it is referring to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Right? Listen to this. He is referring to the Lord whose way is being prepared as Yahweh. I don't think you get this. Right? He's referring to Jesus as Yahweh. Do you see what Mark is doing? At the very beginning of his gospel, Mark lays his strongest cut down on the table. He, he lays the ace of spades down in the first three verses. Who is Jesus? Jesus is not just the promised Messiah, the Christ. No, Jesus is God. That's what our first witness teaches us. The first, the first witness comes to the stand and, and he, he testifies, which is the scriptures, testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ is God. God is not sending another judge like in the judges. He's not sending another king like during the times of the kings. He is sending God himself. Right? This God is... is prophet, priest, and king, and he fulfills these roles perfectly. If you think about the, the prophets in the Old Testament, they were not perfect, right? The, 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 the first prophet, Moses, he failed to enter the promised land because he disobeyed God. The king who was after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart, he failed by committing adultery uh, and, and killing another man's wife. I mean, another wife's man. <laughs> right? And, 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 and priests in the Old Testament. Right? Some of them would go into the Holy of Holies and they would not come back. They would die. Jesus. Prophet, priest, and king. Perfectly. And Mark calls the witness of scripture. He calls Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 to prove that the plan of God has always been the plan of God from the beginning. It, it did not shift. It did not change. And one of the things, brothers and sisters, about this, I, I want you to see this. I want you to notice that Mark is also telling us something about the character of God. God is faithful. Just as he has promised, he has fulfilled. Amen? So the first witness is the scripture. 
And the first witness comes down and Mark, the advocate, calls the second witness to the stand. Let us look at the second witness, John the Baptist. Look at verses 4 to verse 8. Verse 4 to verse 8 shows us John the Baptist who was in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Everyone was coming to him from Judea and Jerusalem and they were confessing their sins and being baptized by him in the river Jordan. It tells us about what he wore. Um, he wore a leather belt. He, he ate locusts and wild honey and what he preached. What he preached, he was preaching about Jesus Christ, the one who's coming, who is mightier than I. The strap of his sandals I'm unworthy to untie. So in the Old Testament, we learn that the Lord's way would be paved by a messenger crying out in the wilderness. As we've seen, John the Baptist is that messenger. But, but the Old Testament says more about this messenger. In Malachi, we are told that Elijah has to come before the great day of the Lord, right? Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. John the Baptist is Elijah that was to come. And this we see in Mark chapter 9 verse 11. He even dresses like Elijah. He dresses like Elijah. In our passage this morning, we find John the Baptist all dressed up and well. He dresses just like Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, Elijah is described as wearing a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. In Mark, John has on a camel hair tunic and a leather belt around his waist. He's dressed exactly like Elijah. And more importantly, he's playing the role of Elijah here. He is the fulfillment of God's promises to prepare the way for Jesus. And how does he fulfill that role? He does it through baptism and preaching. And his preaching teaches us two important truths about who Jesus is. First of all, his preaching, he preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We are so familiar with this passage that we might miss the significance of it. Right? When you, are, when you get too familiar um, with something, you start missing the details, right? Why did Jesus come? He came to provide forgiveness of sins. Remember, this is what the angel says to uh, Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that he will save his people from their sins. So it's only fitting that the only one, that the one called to make the path straight for Jesus would call people to repentance and tell them about their need for forgiveness of sins. You see, brothers and sisters, whenever we ask the question, what is wrong with the world? We must seek the answer from God. And not that the world does not try to offer answers, doesn't it? The world offers a lot of answers. In sociology, 
the world says, the problem with the world is the education system. The, the education, if we fix the education, things will be fine. The, the politics uh, and the politicians say, the problem is the uh, governing party that is uh, governing at the moment. If we remove them, everything will be fine. Psychologists say, although they have many, many answers, but, but they say that it's the background. If we remove someone from their background and deal with their past, you know, and, 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 and blame the mother or the dead or whatever, and we will deal with them. But here's the thing. To some extent, on the surface, there might be a need to change those things. Right? There might be a need to change someone's, um, you know, where they are and remove them and put them somewhere else. There might be a need to change a political party. There might be a need to give good education, but these things are not the ultimate answer to the problem. The problem of humanity is sin. And Jesus Christ, when John prepares the way, he wants to show them what he's coming for. Secondly, John tells us that Jesus is mightier than he is. And don't miss this. Don't miss this one. He's mightier than he is and that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. What John is essentially saying here is Jesus is supreme. He, he wants to show us that he is superior above all the prophets, the, the priests. He is superior. He is not coming as just one of the prophets. He is not coming as one of the priests. He is not coming as one of the kings. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of scripture. He is the prophet. He is the king. He is the priest. All, all these other things were pointing to him and are fulfilled in him. He is not Jesus the first. Like we have so many kings. Like uh, we had Zolotini who unfortunately... Um, um, I, I want to use the term that they use was planted, um, and and now there's another one, Mrs. Um, Zulu, um, who has come and and took his role. Jesus Christ is not abdicating his throne anytime soon. He is not Jesus Christ the first, and there will be Jesus Christ the second. Is Jesus Christ the Alpha and what? Omega. When we refer to the roles of priest, prophet, and king, we put the definite article there, there, right? To, to show that he is the first and the last. He is supreme. In the original um, Greek, John literally says, Jesus is the mighty one. He refers to him as the mighty one. I think he's saying that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ here. But in the Old Testament, the mighty one is no mere human figure. Right? Now, I don't think that John knew Jesus was God. I, I, I don't think he had the full disclosure of it because you notice that even when he was in jail, he was starting to doubt. Remember when he sent his disciples to go and ask, are you the one? 
But he may have spoken more than he knew when he says Jesus is the mighty one. He also says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism with the Holy Spirit refers to being born again, to, to, be, to, to, to God indwelling within us. But there's a difference between baptism in the Holy Spirit and filling in the Holy Spirit, which we see in, in Ephesians. So, so Jesus is being described as the one who mediates the presence of God. He is Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. He comes to mediate the presence of God. Without him, we cannot know God. So our second witness, John, shows us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus mediates the presence of God. And John leaves the stand and Mark, as a good advocate, calls another witness. Now he calls the third witness who is the father. Look at verse 9 to 11. Verse 9 to 11. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. After Jesus is baptized, the voice comes from heaven. There's this doctrine. It's called adoptionism. Um, they might not use the term, but it's very... So adoptionism, this is what they say. They say Jesus Christ was a mere man, and he was Jesus, and when he was baptized, Christ came upon him. That is heretical. It is false. It is blasphemy. Because when you look at the testimony of Scripture, especially Isaiah chapter 9, when Isaiah says, Unto us a child is what? Born, right? A son is given. Now, why does he use these two terms like this? A child, he refers to Jesus being born, taking up flesh, but he says a son is given. If he is given, it means that he has always existed. You see that? So Jesus Christ did not become Christ when he was baptized. The, the baptism was not making Jesus Christ. Right? We remember, we know that Christ is not his surname, right? right? We know, right? Christ is his, his title of being the Messiah, the, 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 the anointed one, the one who was promised from the Old Testament, the one who is to deal with the problem of humanity, who is to bring us back to God. But he has always been the Messiah. He is not a human who took on the divine. He is a divine who put on flesh. This is the voice of God the Father you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is the climax of this passage. Now, who is Jesus? Here's what Mark tells us. He gives us the answer in bold print and an exclamation point after it. Jesus is God's son. 
In fact, as we've seen, Jesus is God. But we learn more that we've already seen about uh, than we've already seen about Jesus here. That the, the Father's words come from three passages in the Old Testament. The first reference to the Old Testament is from Psalm two. Remember, in Psalm two, we learn that God will give the nations to His Messianic King, and God um, God's King will break the nations with a rod of iron. In other words, God's king will rule the nations and judge the nations in power. And what does God say about this powerful king in Psalm chapter 2? What does he say to him? He says, you are my son. Mark chapter 1, when God says, you are my son, he's referring to his powerful messianic king from Psalm 2. The second reference to the Old Testament is from Isaiah chapter 42. In Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1, we are told, Behold my servant whom I, I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nation. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is being portrayed as the promised messianic servant of the Lord in whom God's soul delights, in whom he is well pleased. This is confirmed by the voice of God in verse 11. And it's confirmed by the fact that the Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove in verse 10. God has put his Spirit upon Jesus. So Jesus is the conquering king of Psalm 2, but Jesus is also the humble servant of the Lord of Isaiah chapter 42. Jesus must be seen as both. He is both the mighty one and God's servant. Right? You'll, you'll notice in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which I think should be a memory verse for everyone, when Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve, and what? Give his life as a ransom for many. The identification of Jesus as the Son of God is closely connected to his crucifixion. And we'll notice how the disciples don't see that, and they try to stop him from going through with, with it. This tension is also highlighted in verse 9. Jesus is the mighty one of God, but Jesus comes from a humble place, from Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth is so small that it has to be named in relation to its province, Galilee. Nazareth is so insignificant that it's described in relation to its equally insignificant province, in Israel, that the mighty one of God, who will powerfully bring the nations to justice, comes from, a, from the humble town of Nazareth. Jesus does not come and, and want to identify first with the dignitaries. Jesus came and identified with the poor. He didn't have to, did he? And let me throw in this application. The way the church treats the poor tells our testimony of what we think about Jesus. We have all these churches called million, uh, Millionaires Bible Church. So you can see the purpose for which they are gathering. 
We, we have these churches that have target markets. Our, our target markets are young professionals. And when you get into this, these contexts, you find yourself not being welcomed or feeling out. Our target market is this, this group or this, this demographic of people. The way we welcome people, the way we treat the marginalized, the way we treat the poor of this world says a lot about our testimony of who Jesus is. He is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and he is being baptized by John who's not even worthy enough to stoop down and untie his sandals. God's son is a concrete king and a humble servant. And that brings us to God's third reference to the Old Testament. God says Jesus is his beloved son with whom he's well pleased. That sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 22, doesn't it? After Abraham is called by God and he's tested by God. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham asked to take, is asked to take his son, his only son, whom he loves, and to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice. And we'll learn later in Mark the same was true of Jesus. He's God's beloved son with whom God's, God is well pleased. But God offers him his only son, his beloved son. He offers him up for us to suffer to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed. For the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is such an important truth in the book of Mark. If we don't get this point, we'll miss the point of the whole book. If we don't have... Uh, if we don't have this point in our, our minds, we won't understand the book of Mark. But we don't have to miss it. It's given to us here by Mark. Mark references these three witnesses. The scripture, John the Baptist, God the Father, Jesus, the Christ, is the Son of God. Jesus is the humble king. He is the suffering servant. Mark wants us. He seems, as you read the Gospel of Mark, to be at pains to get us to open our eyes and to see Jesus clearly. But we do realize, right, that our eyes cannot be truly opened unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. We cannot truly see Jesus by ourselves. The, 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 the natural man does not understand the things of God, does he? It is when the Holy Spirit works upon us, and this should be our prayer, and our song, when we should, we should sing, show us Christ. Show us Christ. These are the three witnesses that we'll look at this morning. 
and we'll look at the rest next Sunday. We'll look at the, the witness of Satan himself and the witness of Jesus himself. May God bless our time in the gospel according to Mark. May God draw our hearts to himself. May God open the eyes of our understanding and give us vision to see Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, indeed our prayer is that you will show us Christ. We, we don't want to focus on many things, O oh Lord. We want Jesus. We want to be like the Greeks who came and said to the disciples, show us Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us to honor you. Help us to love you. Help us to grow in grace. That we may be a people that honor you. A people that see you as you should be seen. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.